You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. You know, like I said, I I love that song by the revivalists, all my friends. Um, And there's all kinds of songs about friendship, right? There's this one by the revivalists who, uh, I guess, according to them, uh, a good friend is somebody who gets you high when you're low, and they drive you home when you're too smashed to do that. And so, apparently, that's the measure of a good friend. Thank you for driving me home. Um... So there's that, and then there's, there's all kinds of other songs about friends and, and friendship. Like, like one song I really love is by Lovely the Band, and it's called These Are My Friends. And uh, it's about um, having dissociative identity disorder, and it's about having all the friends inside your head. Chances are you've heard the song. Here, take a listen. And so they don't care who you are, what you do, because they are you. They're living inside your head. You probably didn't know that's what the song was about, but it's about having people living inside your head. Uh, I love this other song. It's a classic from Dionne Warwick. Uh, That's what friends are for. Here, take a listen. That's what friends are for. Put your lighters in the air. For good times and bad times, I'll be on your side forevermore. Come on, here it goes. Dion knows. That's what friends are for, to be there in good times and bad times, right? I mean, who wants a friend like that? Everybody, everybody, because that's what friends are for. And, and, and maybe you remember this song by the Rembrandts. Take a listen. Come on. Who's ready for a show of friends? Love it. So there it is, another characteristic of friendship, somebody who's going to be there for you. And then there's this classic song about friendship by Queen, uh, You're My Best Friend. Take a listen. Somebody's like, don't, don't stop the song. Keep it going. Like, we just want to listen to that. There's, a, there's this other song um, by, oh, I love it, Joe Cocker's, um, with a little help from my friends. Take a listen. Oh, baby, have a You know, sometimes we need a little help from our friends. That's what friends are for, to help us out. And who can forget this unforgettable tune that begins the movie Toy Story? Take a listen. You got a friend in me. And Woody. You got a friend in me. You got a 
friend in me. Come on, sing it. Road look rough ahead, and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. And so I love these songs about friendship. I mean, there's so many songs about friendship. I could go on and on. I mean, there's songs. Um, James Taylor's You've Got a Friend. Biz Marquis, Just a Friend. Oh, baby, you, you got what I need. Come on, you say it. But you, oh, you say, oh, baby, you. Love it. Love it. There's Mariah Carey, Anytime You Need a Friend, Sophie Tucker, Best Friend. Uh, but my favorite, my favorite song about friendship is probably your favorite song about friendship also. Is this song by Garth Brooks. Take a listen. Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots. Ruined your black tie fair. I know you know it. Last one to know. Last one to show. I was the last one you thought you'd see there. Hear that country twice. I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes when I took his glass of champagne. Give me that. I toasted you, said, honey, we may be through. You'll never hear me complain. Cause I got friends in old places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues. Life dancing? <laughs> I tried my best. I don't know. I love it. I got friends in low. I feel like I feel like our worship leader Morgan when that when that song comes on. You know she's from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, love it, man. And you know there's classic TV shows about friends, not just songs, but shows shows like uh, Seinfeld, Cheers, Saved by the Bell, Friends. How many of you, when you watched the show Friends, you felt like you were friends with the people who were on Friends, right? Like you felt like you were friends with Rachel and Phoebe, Joey, Chandler, Monica, and Ross. You just wanted to give them a call and be like, hey, so what are we doing tonight, right? They're not really your friends. You're delusional. But there's great shows about friendship. There's, there's epic stories about friendship. Uh, we have Frodo and Samwise, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn. There's Batman and Robin. Even the Lone Ranger had a friend in Tonto, right? And so epic stories about friendship. And you and I, when we grow up, our life centers around friendship. I mean, when we're little, we have friends. My son, he's in preschool right now, and everybody in his class is his friend. That's, that's how the teachers talk to him. Like, hey, friends, everybody's your friend, and so everybody's friends. It's in elementary school that, that you develop friendships. It's in middle school that you, get, um, you go through drama with your friends. It's in high school that you get in trouble with your friends. It's in college that you start to self-reflect uh, and realize that all your friendships are fake and, and, and surface, and you want real relationships and it's in your 20s and 30s, you want true, real, authentic friends who are going to be there for you. And, and, and for so many of us, the person we want to be with for the rest of our life, we want them to be our, our best friend, our true friend. The, the person that we marry, we want them to be the greatest friend we've ever had. And so all throughout our life, um, our life centers around friendship and, and friends and, and relationship. And, and the reason for this is because you and I, we were created for community, we were created for community. But I don't know about you, but for me, it just seems like no matter how long I've interacted with this interface of friendship, uh, there, there are still times where I feel like a novice. 
There's still times where I have difficulty in relationships. Like, like I'll be close to someone, we'll have a great friendship, but then uh, they flake on me. And I just wonder, well, what happened? Or, or, or we're close, we're tight, and then they ghost on me. Or we're, we're, we're good, and then there's this drama that takes place. I'm wondering, what's going on? Or there's this negativity. There, there have been times where I've been hurt by friends. There have been times where maybe I didn't live up to their expectations, and because of that, they got hurt. There, there, there are times where I've been in, in friendships with people, and, and they gossip about me, or they stab me in the back, and I just wonder, what, no matter how long I've interacted with this interface of friendship, I just feel like I, I can't get it right sometimes. And really, th- th- there's times where, where, I mean, if I'm being open with you, I just, I just feel like relationships at times would be so much easier if it weren't for other people, right? Like, I mean, if it weren't for other people, then my relationships would be awesome. It's because I have to deal with broken, messy people that, that, that things get broken and messy in my life. And I'm willing to bet that if we were to take a look back on your life, look back on my life, We'd see a wake of brokenness when it comes to relationships. We'd see broken friendships. We'd see ways that we've hurt other people and ways that other people have hurt us. We'd see negativity. We'd see drama. We'd see all sorts of brokenness in our relationships. And what I want to do today is is I want to help us move past the brokenness in our relationships and move forward ultimately to experience the promise God has given us of relational wholeness. Uh, today we're continuing the series called It's Yours. And uh, throughout this series, th- the premise is this, that every promise God has given you is already yours. That God has given us promises and those promises are already ours. The foundational scripture for this is found in this letter, 2 Corinthians uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, where it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And what this says then is no matter how many promises God has made you, the answer is yes. And so if you're wondering, can I have joy? Yes, it's already yours. Can I have hope? Yes, it's already yours. Can I have peace? Yes, it's already yours. Can I have financial freedom? Yes, it's already yours. Can I have relational wholeness? The answer is yes, it's already yours. But we're doing this series because for so many of us, We can hear the promises of God, and we can hear that premise that, yes, every promise is already mine, but for so many of us, that isn't our reality. And so we can come to church on a Sunday morning, and I can preach to you, you are more than a conqueror through Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can overcome, and I can get you to a point on a Sunday morning where you can hoop and holler and get excited and clap and cheer because I am more than a conqueror. But on Monday, that's not my reality. Because on Monday, I I still get defeated by this sin in my life. And on Tuesday, when I walk into work and I see Janice from accounting, I just got to stop and be like, I'm about to lose it on her because she's crazy and she's always getting on me about filling out my TPS reports. And I don't want, see, I'm more than a conqueror, but my, my anger gets the best of me. My attitude isn't always the best. Negativity creeps down deep inside of me. And so Jesus, I believe, yes, I'm more than a conqueror, but that's not my reality. That's not my experience. And when there's a gap, between God's promise and your reality, we need to ask the question, is God lying or are we wrong? Is God lying about his promises or are we just doing something wrong? 
And what we've come to understand throughout this series is that God isn't lying when it comes to his promises. The answer is yes every time. But if we aren't experiencing the promises of God, chances are it's because we aren't practicing the principles of God. And what we've come to understand throughout this series is that God is not a respecter of people. Things don't go well in people's lives because God loves them more and he just chooses to bless them more than he blesses you. No, God is not a respecter of people. God is a respecter of principles. And what we've come to understand is that when I live out the principles of God, I will live in the promises of God. I'll say it this way. When I do what God says, I will see what God says. Did you get that? Did you write that down? When I do what God says, I will see what God says. So if there's ever a time where you see a disconnect between the promise of God, between what you hear on a Sunday and your reality, you have to go back and say, wait, am I doing what God says in order to see what God says? If not, I don't need to blame God. I don't need to say that whole church thing is a farce. I don't need to say that all of that is fake. Instead, I need to say, I need to start doing what God says so that I can see what God says. And I may not see it right away because where I got me didn't happen overnight. And so I might need to do some extra hard work to get to the promise God has called me to. Are y'all with me this morning? All right. I know this is the costume party and y'all are all excited about what you're wearing, but can you get excited about this too? All right, good. That's what I'm saying. So what I want to do is I want to teach from this title, Relational Wholeness. Uh, And I want to give you the top 10 principles that I've seen in the scriptures that will lead us to experience the promise of relational wholeness. So the top 10 principles, I feel like David Letterman today, the top 10 principles that will lead us to relational wholeness. And so we're just going to jump right in the top 10 principles. If we're going to see what God says, we need to do what God says. And it starts with these 10 principles. The first principle is this. If you're going to have relational wholeness in your life, you need to be good with you. You need to be good with you. Relational wholeness with other people will not happen until you are good with you. Because once you're good with you, you will be good with other people. If you're going to have relational wholeness, you need to adequately have an accurate understanding of your identity. You need to adequately have an accurate understanding of your identity so that you can have relational wholeness with other people. Because if you don't adequately, accurately understand your identity, then what will happen is you will look to other people to tell you who you are. And as you look to other people to tell you who you are, you will become whatever they say. Watch this. When you don't understand who you are, when you don't have an accurate understanding of your identity, what will happen is you will look for that in other people and place a burden on them, a burden they cannot carry. You will place a burden on them to validate you, to feel valuable, to feel special. And what will happen is they will let you down. They will, they will not be able to deliver on the expectation you have placed on them. Because you have placed on them this expectation of making your identity known to you. But they cannot do that. You have to be good with you. Somebody else can't make you good with you. And here's the thing too. If you place this expectation on someone else and you don't adequately understand your accurate identity, you will will compromise your values for validation. You will compromise your values for their validation. And so you'll put up with stuff you shouldn't put up with. 
You'll, you'll give in to some things that you shouldn't give in to. You'll compromise your values because I just want to be validated by this person because I don't understand who I really am. And they say that I'm this way, but in order for them to say this, then I need to do this and I will settle for less than God's best. You have to adequately and accurately understand your identity. And here's the thing. When you understand who you are, the opinions of others don't matter that much to you. Because I don't need you to tell me who I am. I already know that. And so, listen, you got an opinion for me. Cool, no problem. I'll listen to it. And if it's good, I'll accept it. If it's encouraging, cool, I'll pick it up and walk with it. But here's what you need to understand. I don't need your good opinion of me. Because I'm already good with me. Again, I appreciate it. I'm encouraged by it. But I don't need to go back to Facebook and see how many likes I got. I don't need to go to Instagram and see how many people are following me and giving me hearts. Because I don't need other people's opinions of me. I already have an opinion of me. And it's formed by what God says of me. I have an accurate understanding of my identity. And I'm good with me. You got a negative opinion of me? No problem. You can lay it down right there and I'll walk on by because I don't need it. I know who I am. I don't need you to tell me who I am. Listen, I love you. I care about you. I appreciate you. I just don't need your opinion to form my identity because I know who I am. This is why all throughout scripture, we see that God is concerned with, with us knowing him And for so many people, for so many Christians, we stop there. It's all about knowing God. I just want to know God. I just want to know God. But the problem is many of us know God, but we don't know ourselves. We know God, we believe in God, but we don't believe in ourselves like God believes in us. And so all throughout the scriptures, we see that God is not just concerned with us knowing him, but he's concerned with us knowing us, with us understanding who we really are. And that's why as you read through the scriptures, you'll see over and over again these reminders of who you are. I just want to take a moment to remind you of who you are so that you can have an adequate, accurate understanding of your identity. In the scriptures, we see that you are made in the image of God. And can I tell you something, honey? God doesn't make junk. You are made in the image of God. That means that your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. When God sees you, he sees somebody who's worthy. You are made in the image of God. You are a child of God. The scriptures say that God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That means you're a child of royalty. You are a royal priesthood of people called by his name. You're the temple of God. You're a chosen royal people called by his name. You are more than a conqueror. You are able to do all things. You're a new creation. You're in possession of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. You You are the head and not the tail. You are a person with a plan and a purpose for your life. You are free and free indeed. This is who you are. And so we need to just have an accurate understanding of our identity. So when that boy comes to you talking about, hey, you want to Netflix and chill? You say, "Uh uh-uh, royalty doesn't do that. (laughs) Hey, I'm worthy of more than that. Take me out to a steak dinner at least. No, and put a ring on it. Come on. Come on. Don't compromise your values for validation. See, you got to understand who you are. That's the first thing. We got to understand who we are. When I'm good with me, I don't need you to tell me who I am because I already know. And, when, and, and you want to be friends. You want to have relationships with people who are good with themselves because if not, they're going to constantly place that burden on you. 
and you can't carry that burden. So you got to be good with you. Number two, number two, choose your friends wisely. Have standards. If you're going to have relational wholeness, you got to choose your friends wisely and have standards. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Motivational speaker Jim Ron uh, famously said that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So if you want to be wise, spend time with wise people. Proverb writer says a companion of fools suffers harm. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a fool, but you will suffer harm. Because when you're in the vicinity of fools, you suffer the consequence of fools. So choose your friends wisely. Set some standards. You know, for some of you, your whole brokenness in relationships would change, would shift if you just made some new friends. For some of you, that's the key right there. You just say, I got to get some new friends because these people over here that I hang out with are negative and because of that, it's rubbing off on me and I'm becoming negative. And so listen, I love you. I care about you, but I got to move on. Listen, hey, every time we hang out, it's always about somebody else and you always got to gossip and you always got to talk about somebody else and it's always drama with you. Listen, I don't even listen. I don't even watch daytime drama, so I don't want to be friends with you. And so listen, it's nothing against you. It's just I can't be around you because I just know I'm going to be like you and I don't want to be like you. And so for some of you, the relational brokenness in your life is saying, I'm getting new friends. Now, I'm not talking about running from something. I'm not talking about your friends are holding you accountable. They're challenging you. They're making you better. And you don't want that, so you run. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the negative influence in your life. You just say, I can't, I can't, I can't be friends with you. Well, Pastor, that doesn't sound very loving. Shouldn't we love all people? Yeah, I love them from a distance. I can love you and not be friends with you. I don't have to be friends with everybody. I don't want to be friends with everybody because I don't want to be like everybody. But I can love you from a distance. I can care about you from a distance. But what if you can change them? I know I'll date them and then I can change them. You can change them from a distance. Live as an example so that he sees that and says, I want to be like you. Well, let me show you how. I'm following Jesus. And the only way they're able to see that is because there's distance and they can see you from a clear perspective. So you got to choose your friends wisely. Set some standards. Good God, don't compromise on your standards. Number three, save the drama for your mama. Save the drama for your mama. You know, I told my mama about this, and she said, you could keep the drama for yourself. I don't want it. <laughs> so save the drama for your mama. Not my mama. She doesn't want your drama. But save it. Save it. Save it. Proverbs 26, 17. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. You know, some people thrive on drama. Hey, did you hear about, did you see what they posted? Did you know about what's going on? No, because I'm living my life and I'm focused on me. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. I was talking with this one person one time. They, they said, I hate drama. And, and the person who's telling me this is like the epitome of drama. They're like, I hate drama. I can't stand drama. Drama is everywhere I go and I don't like it. And I'm thinking to myself, honey, it's because you are drama. It follows you because you are drama. And this is the dangerous thing about drama is that when it's, when it's you, you can't see it. When you're in it, you can't see it. And so you got to have some people who love you and care about you who are going to be by your side and say, hey, that's dramatic. This isn't daytime TV. Just, just cut it off. Just stop. And maybe that's a phrase that you just start saying, not daytime TV. Not daytime TV. Sorry. Nope. Don't want to watch it. The drama department is failing. In life, the proverb writer says this, like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears. 
is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. Do you know what happens when you grab a stray dog by their ears? If you're not sure, you can ask one-armed Joe. He'll tell you. (laughs) That dog will attack you. And not only will it attack you, it'll attack everybody around you. And so for me, my life is drama-free because as soon as I get the scent of drama, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, Cujo's not attacking me. I am out of here. I'm not dealing with it. And so in the same way, you just say, hey, save the drama for your mom. It's not daytime TV. I'm not even getting involved in it. Don't worry about other people. My daughter used to say, worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. Save the drama for your mom. And number four, refuse to choose the bait of offense. You refuse to choose the bait of offense. Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I've been, uh, I've been reading this book recently, and uh, I'll, I'll clean up the title for you. Uh, the title of the book is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Care. And um, I had to clean it up a little bit. But in the book, the premise is that you and I give way too many cares about things that aren't care-worthy. We care way too much about stuff that we shouldn't even care about. Like, why does that even bother you? Why, why do you even care about that? And what happens is we will often get offended by something somebody does or doesn't do, something somebody says or doesn't say, and they don't even know it. But we get offended by it. And when we get offended, we cut off the relationship. We run. We leave. We quit. That's what happens when we get offended. So that's why I say refuse to choose the bait of offense. When you take bait from a rat trap, not you but a rat, when a rat takes bait from a rat trap, the the rat trap snaps and cuts off the rat's life. In the same way, when we choose the bait of offense, when we choose to be offended by something, we get cut off from that person, from that organization, from our job. And when we choose to cut ourselves off from that, we miss out in the blessing that God wants to give us through that person, through that church, through our job. Because we got offended. Let me ask you, when somebody, when you have a problem, who has the problem? You have the problem. No, but you don't understand. It's them. And they said, no, no. When you have a problem, who has the problem? You. And so it's up to you then to say, I'm not going to be offended. I choose how I respond in this situation. And this happens all the time. Man, I tell the people on our staff, ministry is messy. Because ministry is all about people, and people are messy. And I don't know if some of you have met you, but me too. Same here. All of us, all of us are messy. But there's times, man, like, and and listen, our job as a staff is to come alongside you, to challenge you, to encourage you, to love you, to help you as best we can. But I'm amazed at the times where some people get offended at stupid stuff. Man, I've heard stories. I've heard so many stories. People who come from other churches tell me stories. I don't want to hear your story from another church. They're people just like you. If you're looking for the perfect church, you're never going to find it. If you get offended there, you're going to get offended here. I'm about to offend you right now. But people come and they'll tell me stories. We went to this one church and we wanted to meet with the pastor about some of the complaints that we had about the church. And he didn't make time to meet with us. And so we decided that we're leaving because he was too good for us. And he didn't want to meet with us to tell us to, to listen to our complaints. And listen, when somebody comes to our church and they start telling me that, I think, dear God, why did you come here? 
Because if you think that's a good time, if you think I'm going to take time away from my family to meet with you at Starbucks to hear about how you don't like me and how terrible I am, listen, that sounds like a rip-roaring good time, but I'm going to have to pass on that awesome opportunity right there. I'm not taking time away from watching Survivor with my family so I can sit at Starbucks and you tell me how terrible I am. Sometimes I just want to tell people, okay, tell me everything that's wrong with me. Okay, my turn. Let me... <laughs> and when we do that, We'll just realize you're jacked up, I'm jacked up, same here. Now, how about we do what the Bible says and give each other grace? How about, how about we just live out our faith? How about we just learn to forgive? How about we learn to talk things out instead of text things out? Good. How about we talk things out instead of text things out? How about we talk things out instead of email things out? How about we talk things out instead of ghosting on people? Whatever happened to, I don't know, they fell off the face of the earth. I, I don't know. I've been reaching out and they just refuse to choose the bait of offense. Listen, it is to your glory to overlook an offense. To say, I'm going to get to the bottom of this and we're going to figure this out. I'm going to learn to forgive. Refuse to choose the bait of offense. Listen, offense is an event, offended is a choice. Offense is an event. Offended is a choice. This thing happened, and if I choose to leave, to run, to get mad, whatever, I've chosen the bait of offense. But if I choose instead to believe the best, if I choose instead to talk it out, if I choose instead to give grace and forgiveness, if I realize that they aren't as perfect as I am, well, then maybe I'll love them a little more. We refuse to choose the bait of offense you know what happens when you get offended? Here, here's what you do. This is interactive. I want you to do it with me. When, you get, when, you, when, somebody, when an offense happens and, and you're on the cusp of choosing to be offended, here's what I want you to do. Shake it off. Shake it off. Or you can just, right on. I feel the spirit of Taylor Swift in here. Just shake it off. It's up to you how you respond. And the way that you're able to shake off an offense is principle number five. You believe the best. You believe the best. Matthew eleven four through 6, Jesus answered to them and said, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Now, before this happens, what we see is that John, Jesus' cousin, is in prison. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, hey, are, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? Now, this is a striking question, especially coming from John, because John was Jesus' cousin. John was the one who baptized Jesus. John knew Jesus. J John said to his disciples, his followers, stop following me and follow Jesus. There was a time when John was asked about his dwindling ministry because people were leaving him and following Jesus, and, 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 and he was asked, what do you think about this? And here's what John said in John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less. John said about Jesus, he's got to become greater. It's not about me, it's about him. So John is a man who has great faith in Jesus. He believes in Jesus. He trusts Jesus. But there's this moment when he's in prison. And he hears about the deeds of the Messiah. Did, did you catch that? Look, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, and he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, hey, listen, 
are you, are you the one? Are you really the Messiah? All this coming from John, who knew that he knew that he knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but, but he saw the deeds of Jesus, and it caused him to question. Really what happened was John got, got offended because of what he saw. Remember, Jesus said, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And so what deeds did John see that caused him to get offended and even question if Jesus was who he said he was? It happens a couple chapters earlier, Matthew 9, 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, these are religious people, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They probably said it that way too, sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said, by the way, the Pharisees go to Jesus' disciples, but Jesus catches wind of this and he responds. Can I just let you know that gossip will always get found out? If you got a problem with somebody, you go to the person you got a problem with. The Pharisees saw what Jesus was doing and they went to his disciples. Hey, how come? They didn't go to Jesus. On hearing this, Jesus answered them. Oh, no, 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 it ain't got nothing to do with them. This is between us. So let's talk about it. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. These religious leaders got offended by Jesus hanging out with people who weren't religious partying and drinking with them. That's what he does. There's a time in, in, in the Gospels where Jesus said, listen, I came eating and drinking and, and you called me a drunkard. Like I'm partying with people who are far from God and the reason is because I want to see them come to know who God is. But he also describes John. He said, John came not eating or drinking and you thought he had a demon. See, John is described as this religious guy. Like he would never associate with these people. He would never be at a party with them. He would never be drinking with them. By the way, don't hear this and misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't say, well, I'm going to the party with my friends so I can reach them for Jesus. No. <laughs> because Jesus was so different, people saw him and they said, I want to be like you. If you're going and you're just like everybody else, you blend in and there's no difference about you. But he's hanging out with these people, and this doesn't seem very Messiah-like, because these are sinners, and the religious people are offended by this. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he's hanging out with who? He's doing what? I don't know about this then. That doesn't seem very Messiah-like. This doesn't seem like the guy that I thought he was going to be. He sent his disciples to ask him, hey, are you the one who's the comer? Should we expect someone, someone else? John is asking Jesus about some of his deeds that he doesn't quite agree with, and he gets offended by them. And I love Jesus' response to John. He redirects his attention to some other deeds. Jesus answered them, and he said, go tell John the things which you hear and see. John, I know you focus on this one thing that was happening, this one thing that was going on, but look, I want you to relook at these things, the blind see and the lame walk. That's what's going on here. That's what I'm about. 
The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. John, don't focus on this one small little thing that you're taking offense at, but instead look at the whole ministry. Look at everything that's going on. When you focus on that, you'll begin to say, oh yeah, I'm going to believe the best and not jump to conclusions. I'm not going to assume the worst, but instead I can see the evidence of what's happening. We believe the best. We don't jump to conclusions. And Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. If we're going to have relational wholeness with the people in our life, uh, we need to just believe the best in them and choose to refuse the bait of offense. Look, I got about two minutes left on my time. I'm already over. But I told you I'd give you 10 principles. I only gave you five. Can I give you the last five in a speed round? Here we go. Last five in a speed round. Number six, in order to have friends, be a friend first. If you want to have relational wholeness, be a friend first. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The way you develop great friendships is be a friend to people. How do you want your friends to treat you? You treat them that way. Look at your friendships. Look at your relationships. If you're acting in a way that you wouldn't want other people to act towards you, stop it. Redirect and course correct. Because here's the thing. When you, when, uh, here, here, I'll move on. I, I, I got to go. Number seven, don't be needy. Have low expectations. You want to have relational wholeness? Don't be needy. Paul said, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This goes back to you being good with you. If you're not good with you, you will be needy and you will look to other people to fulfill your expectations. But when you are needy, you are a parasite. I need this from you and I will extract it from you. And if I don't get it, I'm gone. Don't be needy. Have low expectations if you're going to have relational wholeness. Number eight, don't see people as projects. Don't see people as projects. Oh, I don't have time to get into this. John 1, 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Listen, there's a speed round. So, so, so I got to go through. It said that John, Jesus' cousin, who came earlier, it said that he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, the light that it's talking about here is Jesus. John came and it said that he was not Jesus, but he came to testify about Jesus. If we're going to have relational wholeness, you can't try to be Jesus for people. You can't try to fix him. You can't try to fix her. Well, I would love him if he just. No, no, no. Do you love him as he is? Do you love her as she is? People are not projects. You are not Jesus. And this is the great thing about you and I. It's not our job to be Jesus. It's our job to point to Jesus. And he's the one who can fix them. He's the one who can change them. Not you. That's not your job. I hope that frees you today. People are not projects. Number nine, show gratitude. Show gratitude. If you're going to have relational wholeness, show gratitude, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you is to be grateful. What's God's will for my life? Be grateful. Gratitude is never silent. You know, sometimes people will come up to me and they'll say this, you know, pastor, I'm sure you hear this all the time. No, I don't. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I'm just so thankful. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. But you know, I'm sure you hear, I don't hear it all the time. I rarely hear that. What I hear is, let me tell you what's wrong. Let me tell you what problems I got. People don't call me because things are good. 
Hey, Pastor, my marriage is going great. My kids are doing awesome. And thank you so much for your ministry. No, people call me to complain. People call me because they got problems in their life. If you're grateful, let people know. Well, I feel it in my heart. I don't know what's in your heart until you say it. Gratitude is never silent. If you're grateful for the people in your life, let them know. Tell them. Send them a text right after this. Send them a voice memo. Let them know how grateful you are. Gratitude is never silent. Show gratitude. Number 10, serve. 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 Jesus said to his disciples, not so with you, and said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It all comes back to being a servant. Zig Ziglar once said, you'll get all you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. See, when you seek to serve others instead of being served, your relationships will be full and whole and healthy. And so just determine, I am going to be a servant. I'm not going to look to see what you can do for me, but I'm going to look to see how can I serve you? How can I help you today? It goes back to being a friend. Because when you do that, man, your relationships will be happy, healthy, and whole. As we close this morning, I just want to ask you two questions. Because we're changed not by the word that we hear, we're changed by the word that we do. And I think I gave you plenty of content to look through and work on. But I I just want to ask you as we close these two questions. The first one is this. What is God saying to you about what you've heard? Do you need to put some more work into your friendships? Maybe not take people for granted like you have been. Is there this sense of drama that just, oh, you get so much joy when it wells up. And it's time to kill that in you. Maybe it's time to cut off some friendships and build some new ones. I don't know, what is God saying to you in this moment? And then I want to ask you, what are you going to do about it? What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Because the truth is, the promise of relational wholeness is already yours. But you will never experience it until you grab hold of it by practicing these principles. In a moment, we're going to receive communion. Members from our VIP team are going to come down and pass out trays. And as they do that, our band is going to play softly in the background. They won't play a song. They're just going to play some music for you to think through these two questions. God, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do about it? As our team passes out communion, there are going to be trays that they pass out. And in those trays are stacks of cups. The bottom cup has some bread. It reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. The top cup has some juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. And I just want this to be a time for you to think about your relationship with God, but also your relationship with others. And ask yourself, what needs to change so that I can live in the promise of relational wholeness? Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for your love. God, I pray that if there's some things we need to change, some things we need to do, we would get that right today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.